So Arjuna, this lust alone, Kama, is the reason why you are forced to commit sinful activities. That was a very specific uh, answer that Krishna gave. And we also understood that how this Kama, how it performs its work, how it actually activates the mind, intelligence, and then what are the sitting places of this lust. And we understood that the sitting places of this lust is the senses, the mind and the intelligence, the buddhi. So, the greatest enemy that we all have, actually it's an unseen enemy, it's not a seen enemy, it's an unseen invisible enemy that we have. And that is lust, that is karma. It's a very very powerful enemy that we all are facing. So it's important that we address this enemy in a systematic way, we understand about our enemy in a nice way so that we progress in our spiritual life very easily and grow in our Krishna consciousness. So it's extremely important to know this very powerful enemy called lust which is right within us, right? I'm sure that all of you agree with this point that it's important that we identify this enemy nicely and then attack this enemy nicely because that's what Krishna is going to speak in the next words. So what has happened right now why do we perform sinful activities? The main reason is that our intelligence, the buddhi that, we, that is given to us is right now covered with this lust. It is covered with this karma. And hence what happens is because of this we tend to commit all the sinful activities. So now what happens, another very important thing is because of this covering of karma, this lust over our intelligence, our intelligence has corroded. It has rusted and that's why we are unable to differentiate between what is material and what is spiritual. In fact, we are using this intelligence which is supposed to control the mind and the senses. We are using this intelligence to actually engage the mind and the senses in material satisfaction and material sense gratification. You see? So that's why this intelligence is corroded right now. And we are using this intelligence uh, in a way which is called like uh, a methodical madness. We are using this intelligence for uh, enjoying our methodical madness. What do we mean by methodical madness? Methodical madness means just like a serial killer. You know, you all have uh, uh, heard and maybe watched some movies. There was a movie called Stone Man where there is a serial killer who goes and puts a stone on the people who are sleeping on the footpath and kill them. So what happens is such people who are serial killers, who are habitual uh, uh, sinners, they use their intelligence. They all use their intelligence to satisfy and gratify their senses. Right? So they are all very very intelligent but they are using it in a wrong way. And that's reason, the main reason for that is their intelligence is covered because of lust, right? So now we don't have to trust such uh, intelligence that we have. Right now we have a lusty intelligence and that's why we don't have to trust this. We should not, we should not trust such intelligence. Now you may ask Prabhuji, how is it possible that you know we are all using intelligence on a day-to-day -day basis and trying to understand and doing so many activities and we are doing our activities because we are using intelligence. Just like if you step outside your home and you want to go to a particular mall or a shop, you still use your intelligence as, as to which route you have to take. 
Now you are using your gadgets, you need your intelligence. You do so many activities like cooking and many other aspects of your life, you use your intelligence. So now what happens is, there is this uh, functional intelligence. So we all have to use this functional intelligence to ensure that day-to-day -day activities are taken care of. So this functional intelligence is definitely required and we have to trust our functional intelligence, that buddhi. But we also have a material intelligence which actually blocks us from using our devotional intelligence. So this material intelligence is where we need to be very careful because this intelligence actually blocks us from getting into the spiritual life. And that's exactly what Krishna is going to explain in the next verse. So now let's understand this functional uh, intelligence that Krishna has given us and we are using it on a day to basis. The best example for this is Bharat Maharaj. So we all know Bharat Maharaj, such a great devotee and uh, such an exalted devotee. He had given up all his kingdom, all his kingdom and he had gone to the forest. His family, relatives, everything were given up and he went to the forest to do tapasya. And there, once while he was doing tapasya, he saw this deer which was pregnant. It was actually taking, drinking some water in the river. And there it so happens that it hears the roaring of a lion. And then she becomes very, uh, very fearful and in that anxiety when she wanted to escape, it so happened that she was pregnant and she gives birth. She delivers the fawn, the little deer, right there in the water and then collapses in the water and dies. And this whole scene was seen by Bharat Maharaj and he, out of his compassion, he actually goes and takes this little fawn and starts taking care of this little fawn. Now, until this, it's not a problem because it was a functional intelligence of Bharat Maharaj. You know, he used his intelligence to save this deer, this little fawn, this little deer and uh, protect it from the tiger. That was a functional intelligence. But what happened was, it also gave rise to material intelligence through which he developed attachment to this little deer and started taking care of it. Because he thought that, oh, if I don't take care of this, then who else? Because the mother has already died. So that was his concern and he got attached to it. And unfortunately, because of that attachment, he became a deer in his next life. Right? So that's why we need to be extremely careful in spiritual life. Spiritual life is like a, walking on a razor's edge. You know, the razor edge, if you are little inattentive, it can actually cut you. And that's what happens many times, especially men who are used to shaving. You know, you are little inattentive while shaving, it can actually bleed, right? So we need to be very careful in spiritual life. It's actually like walking on the razor's edge. So that's why Krishna is explaining in the next verse, and that is verse number 41, that as to how we need to deal with this lust. So I have uh, Uma Kumara Sanan. Maybe you can unmute yourself and uh, you can chant the words along with me. So let me display yes, the and uh, let's chant the next two words the verse number 41 all right please repeat yes tasma tvam indriyanyadao tasma indriyanyadao once again tasma tvam indriyanyadao tasma indriyanyadao Niyama Bharata Rishabha Niyama Bharata Rishabha 
So that is what Krishna is saying here, that you need to follow nicely. So how do we regulate our senses now? In Vaidhi Bhakti, like our eating, eating we are supposed to regulate, not that you have to eat every time. You know, there are some people, they eat at least 8 to 7 times, 8 to 10 times in a day. Keep munching all the time. They are always, you know, chewing and chewing and chewing. Their mouth is always like a cow. You know, the cow is always chewing. It's like that. Many people, they eat like cows, always chewing. Their mouth is always chewing, constantly and no regulated time. See, we are supposed to regulate our eating, morning breakfast, lunch and dinner. And maybe sometimes, if, if, if required, you just have to take a little snack if required. Especially grahastas, they are supposed to eat only twice. You are not supposed to eat more than that. As grahastas, twice is good enough. And night time you can take a little milk. So, eating we need to regulate. Sleeping, not more than 6 hours. You should not sleep more than 6 hours. That is how we have to regulate our sleeping. About our speech, we need to control our speech and see that you most of the time chant the holy names and glorify the Lord. That's how we regulate our speech, right? So, now, now speech is done, our eating, sleeping and activities also. When you perform any activity, it's important the result of that activity you offer. So, what's happening is even your activities now are getting regulated. So, by doing all these things, we are following Vaidhi Bhakti and we are regulating our senses. Very, very important. By doing then, by following this process, we are raising ourselves from Vaidhi Bhakti, from Sadhana Bhakti to Bhava Bhakti. Bhava Bhakti is, is full of attachment to the Lord. You have uh, spiritual emotions for the Lord. And then Prema Bhakti, which is the ultimate goal of human existence. We are all supposed to reach that ultimate platform of Prema Bhakti. Right? So that is our goal. That's what we are looking here for. So then Krishna is very nicely saying here, Tasma, therefore, <coughs> because lust is great enemy, sitting in our senses, in our mind, in our intelligence, you have to control our senses. Niyama Bharatar Shabaha. So Krishna is using a very nice uh, term here. He is calling Arjuna as Bharatar Shabaha, the chief of Bharatas. You are the... A very powerful king in the dynasty of uh, the Bharatas. Arjuna, you are not an ordinary person. Rishaba, Rishaba also means the bull. Bull is called Rishaba. Now, bull is actually uh, considered to be a very strong amongst all the domestic animals. You know, we have dogs, we have cats, we have horses. But among all these animals, the bull is considered to be a very, very powerful and the strongest amongst the domestic animals. I don't know if you are aware of some bulls, you must have seen some images and pictures. You know, they are quite huge, about 6-7 feet high and they weigh about uh, more than 1000 kgs. That's how big they are. There are certain breeds in India, you know that Ongol, which are sometimes found in Andhra and uh, Telangana, quite huge, very huge. They are very, very powerful. Extremely powerful. So Krishna is actually uh, it's a positive glorification for Arjuna. He's saying that you are quite strong like a bull. Bharadar Shabaha. And you are not ordinary. He's, it's a very nice glorification for a Kshatriya. A Kshatriya is supposed to exhibit his heroism. Right? Especially on the battlefield. But what is Arjuna doing right now? He's saying, no, I'm not going to fight. He's a Kshatriya, but he is not showing his valor. Although he's a great warrior, he wants to take a step back and not fight. 
right? So here, Arjuna is being advised that you cannot step back, you are a Bharatarshaba, you are not an ordinary person. And it reflects in your nature, that, your, that heroism reflects in your nature. So you should not step back. And what is real heroism? Another reason why Krishna is saying Bharatarshaba here to Arjuna is because you are supposed to be very strong in controlling the senses. It's extremely important that you need to have a very very strong, extremely strong, uh, you know, you have to have a very very powerful uh, strength and intellectual strength to control, to dominate these senses. It's not ordinary. It's not ordinary at all. So that's why here it's said that how we need to control. You have to be a hero. You have to display your heroism here. And real heroism is actually in controlling the senses. Our senses. Actually we need to protect ourselves from this lust. That is real heroism. Krishna is saying that if you want to be a hero in life, you protect yourself from this lust, this greatest enemy. And that's what Krishna is saying here. See, most of these Bollywood movies, if you see, they are all uh, very similar to the story of Ramayana. Now in Ramayana you see there is a hero, there is a heroine and there is a villain. So hero is Lord Rama, our heroine is Mother Sita and there is a villain Ravana. You see? So, in life, uh, most of these movies that we see, they are all somewhere very close. Now real heroism is what? You have to fight against the enemy. So, if you look at from the spiritual perspective, if you try to understand this from the spiritual perspective, both the hero and the villain in this material world, in these movies, is actually a villain. The hero is also a villain, the villain is also a villain. Why do I say so? It's because, you see, in this material world, although the hero and the heroine are together, they exhibit, the hero with the heroine, they exhibit a consensual lust. But the heroine and the villain, it's a non-consensual lust of exhibition. They exhibit lust, but in a non-consensual way. So now, lust, whether it is consensual or non-consensual, both are lust. So in that sense, both are villains here. So there is no real hero. As long as you are not fighting against this lust, you are actually a villain. So we are supposed to control. So Arjuna is not a villain. He is supposed to be a hero. He has to fight. And Arjuna, now you may say, Prabhuji, how can Arjuna be a hero? Because he had multiple wives. How can he be a hero? Actually, Arjuna, all the wives that he had, they were all married in a dharmic way. They were married as per the conjunctions of the Vedas. They were all duly married by Arjuna in a, as per dharma. It's not a dharmic way. See? And that's how Arjuna refused the proposal of Urvashi. Although Urvashi offered herself, Arjuna said, No, I'm not going to do that, my mother. He said, My mother to Urvashi. Such a beautiful apsara, but Arjuna was able to control his senses. 
And that's why Arjuna is referred here as Bharatarshaba. He is not an ordinary person. He is definitely not an ordinary person. But here, in this movies that we see, they are all material movies. We should not uh, go through the glorification that is being done in these movies. The hero or the villain, they are both the same. In fact, even in Ramayana, you see Ravana. He, when he saw Mother Sita for the very first time, he is also glorifying. He said, Oh, you are so beautiful that the creator must have stopped creating anything after creating you because you are the most perfect creation of the creator. You know, you see, these are the kind of uh, words Ravana is using. And that's how even uh, the material beauty is glorified in this uh, movies, right? So very similar, the tendency is very similar to as that of Ravana here. So people have uh, the tendency of Ravana. So, another very interesting word Prabhupada is using here in the translation. Prabhupada is saying that, oh, in the very beginning, Athav, you have to curb this great symbol of sin, lust, by regulating the senses. Then the interesting word is, and slay, and slay this destroyer of knowledge and self-realization. So can anyone help me? What do you mean by slay, this word slay? What do you understand by this word? Slay. Does anyone know? Can you guess what is slay? Great. We also have Vinod Chandanji joining us today after a long time. Yes. So what do you mean by slay? There is a word in the translation. Prabhupada is using this specific word. Any guesses? You can also leave that in the comment section and those who are listening it on the... YouTube, you can also leave your comments. Yes. This word slay. Any guesses? Yes, Uma Kumar is saying kill. It means to kill. It's very, very uh, similar. Yeah, Uma Kumar is also saying it's minimize. Okay. And Achyutanji is saying defeat. Okay, slay means to defeat. Any other thing that comes, uh, comes to your mind? So here my uh, nephew is saying that it's it's cut into two parts or cutting uh, certain things into two. So what what do you mean by slay? Okay, slay means it's very similar. It's synonymous to kill, but it's not ordinary killing. It is violent killing. Slay means you kill, but you kill very violently. So Prabhupada is using a very strong word here. He is saying that you need to fight this enemy called lust in a very violent way. Don't just kill it, but kill it violently. So because it's not an ordinary enemy, you have to be very powerful, right? So a very nice word Krishna Prabhupada is using here, you need to slay. And we all have an experience of being violent sometimes, even we are children. You know, we exhibit our violence with our siblings and then sometimes uh, with as teenagers, you know, we exhibit that violence with our parents and then as we grow then with our friends and then when we get married with our spouse. So we all, to some degree, we have displayed our 
uh, violence to somebody in the past, isn't it? To some degrees. Each one of us are different, so we to different degrees have displayed our uh, violent nature to some people, right? So that's very uh, quite natural, and that's uh, uh, that that's what we all have experienced in the past. So now the thing is, we don't have to be violent with people. We have to understand that each one of us is acting violently because there is lust within us. Each one of us, to some degree, there is lust within us, and that's why people act in a very weird way in a simple way and that is what actually puts us off and we want to fight with people we don't see the enemy sitting in that person and the same enemy sitting in our selves also this lust is universally present in each one of us and to different degrees and this is what actually creates the turbulations between turbulations in the relationships the main problems in the relationship is because the presence of lust in people's mind and intelligence so that's why Prabhupada is saying you have to slay this destroyer of knowledge and self-realization again a very very interesting word Prabhupada is saying that Jnana Vijnana Nashanam this Kama is one enemy who actually destroys Jnana and Vijnana what is Jnana? Jnana means knowledge of the self. In the second chapter, we have very nicely understood that how we are not this body, we are a spirit soul. So this is Jnana. To understand that I am this soul, I am not this body is actually Jnana. And what is Vijnana? Vijnana is applied knowledge. There is knowledge and there is applied knowledge or experiential knowledge, realized knowledge. It's called Vijnana. So what is Vijnana? To know the dharma of the soul, to know the constitutional position of the soul is actually called Vijnana, a very interesting thing. We all have a constitutional position in the spiritual world, each one of us. Here in this material world, sometimes I'm a man, sometimes I'm a woman, sometimes I'm a cat, and sometimes I'm a dog. I can be an elephant, I can be a giraffe, I can be a fish, I can be a bird. We are constantly changing our identities. But here in the spiritual world, we all have our true unchanging identity and that is called our constitutional position, constitutional nature. You know, many times uh, when we are discussing, I have this discussion with my wife, Aradhana. And she keeps uh, having this desire, she has this desire to be a Gopa in the spiritual world. She wants to be a friend of Krishna in the spiritual world. So that's her desire. I don't know if uh, that's the constitutional position of hers because even I want to be the Gopa in the spiritual world. So we both keep discussing about this and we are really not sure if that's our constitutional position because in the spiritual world we can even be a grasshopper or a butterfly there. Really don't know but that's a spiritual thing. That's still a spiritual form. But then, this desire is there. And uh, sometimes jokingly I also tell her that, you know, you can be in the Krishna's team and I will be in the Balran's team. But she's so possessive, she, she wants me to be in the same team. <laughs> so, that's how it is. You know, we all have a constitutional position in the spiritual world and that's awaiting us. Actually, we need to be there in that spiritual world and uh, take up our true identity. So, what do you want to become? Or 
what do you want to be you can desire and maybe krishna willing you will all be there in the spiritual world having your true identity what an amazing thing right so what do you think although we don't know like i told that i want to be a gopa in the spiritual world they what do you think that you want to be in the spiritual world uma what about you and achyutan ji what about you and also my dear dear listeners here on youtube what do you think that you want to be in the spiritual world you want to be the friend of krishna you want to be a kamadhenu or you want to be the kalpavriksha so let's see what is that you want to be so uma kumar is saying that servant of krishna guruji now that's the common theme there in the spiritual world the tree the bird the fish everyone is actually serving because that's the constitutional position of the soul to love and to serve but any specific desire that you want to be because everyone is serving krishna in the spiritual world is there anything specific that you want to be i am just asking out of curiosity if at all you have thought about it any time before what do you want to become Achyutan ji is saying tree. He wants to become a kalpavriksha there. It's an amazing thing because there the trees are very special. You go to a mango tree and you ask rasgulla, it will give you. You want to ask a samosa and it will give you a samosa. That's how it is. Kalpavrikshas are very very special, very nice trees. How I wish, uh, you know, we had some trees like this here. At least one tree. We all could have gone there and nicely enjoyed. But yes, Achyutan ji, I'll definitely come to you. in the spiritual world i come to and I'll, i'll ask all and fulfill all my desires wonderful very nice so achyutan ji wants to be a tree what about dev dev is still thinking so he is saying not thought before prabhu ji you better think something so you see all of us we can desire to be something ultimately it is krishna's will and we don't know what is awaiting us in the spiritual world but it's very nice it's very interesting to be there and that's a place where we are completely free from lust it's amazing so now let's see what krishna is going to explain uh, yeah before we go to the next word it's important now to understand that how if you want to cultivate jnana and vijnana you need to have a right association of people it's extremely important to know what kind of environment you are in because your environment matters a lot if you are you are trying to be uh, spiritually elevated you have to associate with people who are also similarly inclined a drunkard always wants to be with other drunkards a person who is trying to uh, study for upsc upsc exams he has to be with uh, associate with people who is actually studying upsc and preparing for upsc a person who is a painter who is a singer they have to associate with similar like minded people so as spiritualists we all need to have a right environment for us and this is a place although we are doing it online we are still associating with each other so that's amazing thing we are getting an association of uh, a spiritual association where we are able to discuss about bhagavad gita and cultivate our mind in a nice way you see so this is very important i just want to share a very nice incident from mahabharata so once all of us know that how when all the pandavas were exiled they all went to the forest and of course arjuna 
had to go to the heavens. He took another route because he wanted to practice a lot of archery and he wanted to take a lot of uh, other astras from different devatas. But these four brothers, Bhima, Yudhishthira, Nakul and Sahadev, they went to the forest and they reached Badrikashram. And when they reached Badrikashram, they also could access the beautiful forest of Kubera. Now, they are not ordinary forests. They are very, very pleasing, amazing forests. The forest itself is like the beautiful uh, Lalbagh that we have in Bangalore. Very beautiful forest. You know, very uh, nice, uh, nicely maintained by the Devitas, uh, by all the associates of the Kubera, the Gandharvas. And everything was given to them. The Devatas, the assistants of Kubera, were giving all the facilities to these Pandavas because they were quite righteous. And they were very comfortably living in the forest. But it so happened after a while that Bhima, he went and told Yudhishthira that, my dear brother, we are here in this very comfortable forest. It's not good for us. You know, material opulence, when you are surrounded by material opulence, it is not good for your spiritual life because you become absorbed in sense gratification to the extent that you forget what is spiritual life. So Bhima was aware and he, he reminded Yudhishthira that we are not supposed to be in this comfortable forest. We have a higher purpose. We have a bigger goal in life. And my dear brother, we are supposed to go there. We are supposed to uh, take care uh, of all the, our Kshatriya Dharma and protect the people in the future. So we are not supposed to be here in this comfortable forest. So let's leave this place. So that's what we are supposed to do. As spiritualists, if you are in a very comfortable position materially, it's dangerous. Always in this material world, there will be problems and it's important that we experience and understand that we are in problems because only when we know that we are in problem we will understand that yes we need to go towards Krishna we will take spiritual life seriously otherwise not so that's why it's important that we need to have a right environment don't be in a very comfortably comfortable environment materially it's not good for spiritual life Right? So very nice. So Krishna has explained all these different factors in this particular shloka. And let's understand what he is going to say in the very next words. And Dev, you can unmute yourself. And let's see what Krishna is going to say in the next words. That is 42nd words. So you can unmute yourself. And let's chant this shloka together. You are ready? Yes. Wonderful. Indriyani Paranyaho Indriyani Paranyaho Indriyabhya Paramanaha Indriyabhya Paramanaha Manasastu Parabuddhi Manasastu Parabuddhi Yo Buddhi Paratastu Saha Let's do that once again. Indriyani Paranyaho Indriyabhya Paramanaha Manasastu Parabuddhir 
यो बुद्धे परतस्तु न Yeah, you can read the translation by yourself. Yes, Prabhuji. The working senses are superior to dull matter. Mind is higher than the other senses. Intelligence is still higher than the mind, and the soul is even higher than the intelligence. Wonderful, very nice. All right, thank you. So this is very interesting. So this is a shloka where Krishna is explaining the hierarchy of the human existence. So very beautifully, Krishna is saying in this verse, he is saying that Indriya nitparanya hor. So there is matter at the lowest level. Matter is dead. You know, it doesn't have any emotions or feelings or it is not conscious basically. So you take any sense object. You take a gulab jamun or you take a rasgulla. It's a sense object. It doesn't have necessarily any feelings. It's not conscious. So matter, above matter, there are the senses. You know, we have these five senses: eyes, ears, nose, touch, and tongue. And above these five senses, there is another faculty called mind. It's very, very powerful. It's above the senses. And then above the mind. there is intelligence there is intelligence so that intelligence is actually controlling the mind mind in turn is controlling the senses and sense in turn are running towards the sense objects so you must be aware previously i had shown this uh, chariot analogy where imagine there is a chariot with five horses and then there is the driver who is catching hold of the reins and then there is a passenger so the five horses they actually represent the five senses that we have and then the reins that the driver is holding is actually the mind and the driver himself is the intelligence and the passenger is the soul so this body that we have is actually like a chariot so we have this five horses this five senses the mind which is like the reins which controls the five horses and then the intelligence is the driver and the soul is the passenger so now what happens is when you sit in a ola cab or uber it's not that you just sit and tell the driver okay you take me wherever you want no it's not that you sit and you go wherever you want as per the driver's wish you direct the driver that yes i want to go to this specific destination and then everything else the driver takes you there to the specific destination so what's happening here right now we are in this chariot called the body and the soul is completely bewildered has no clue what is the destination it is bewildered completely so the intelligence the driver is very loose just imagine the driver who is catching hold of the five horses which are very powerful and the driver is very weak has no strength the muscular strength what will happen each and every horse will run in different directions and ultimately the chariot will collapse and the soul will be very fearful the passenger will be very fearful so that's exactly what is happening with us because we have these five uncontrolled horses the senses which are so uncontrolled because the intelligence is very weak we have not empowered our intelligence he is so big so weak that he is unable to control these senses these horses 
So we have to control the senses through the mind. Just like you see this palm now. So what's happening here? These five fingers are actually connected to the palm. The palm is like the mind, and the five senses are connected to the mind. This is how we need to understand. The mind is the central. It's the control room where it controls all the five senses. Just like all the five fingers are connected to the palm, the five senses are connected to the mind. That's how it works. So now above this, there is intelligence. So Krishna is saying you need to empower your intelligence, the driver. Extremely important. Very, very important. So here, only when you control these senses, which are the outlets, see lust is there within us. So the lust exhibits its power through these outlets, these five senses. So only when you have the senses properly controlled, then it's easy. Because the senses, because many many lifetimes before, we have been doing only this sense gratification. Even in this life, we are very naturally attracted towards sense objects. So it's very natural for the senses to fall down, come down in consciousness. And that's very very easy for the senses to come to the lower consciousness. But if you practice sadhana bhakti, then you will develop reflex actions. What do I mean by reflex actions? The moment you see a sense object which is not favorable for your spiritual life, you will reject it. You don't want to take it. You know, there are some people, you know, moment, you know, I have seen some devotees when uh, there was somebody, they kept a food, an item, a dish with uh, which was having onion and garlic. The moment he got the smell of onion and garlic, he immediately rejected, immediately kept the plate outside. That was the reflex action. So devotees, they develop this reflex actions. So what happens is when you start chanting Hare Krishna Mantra, when you understand the Bhagavad Gita, you will also develop this reflex action. The moment you see something unwanted for your spiritual life, you will throw them out. So this is the practice. This is our goal to develop these uh, reflex actions within our system. And that happens when you empower your intelligence through the knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita. So that's very important. You see? So this is what? The hierarchy is there and we should follow the top-bottom approach. The final order should come from the soul. The soul should keep directing the intelligence and the mind and everything else. But right now, it is bottom-up approach. The line of command is from the senses. Whatever the senses are asking, the mind is agreeing to it and then finally the intelligence is agreeing and the soul is bewildered. And again taking the next slide. If you keep listening all the time only to your senses, then what's going to happen is it will definitely give you a guaranteed next life, a material life. That's why Krishna is saying, if you want to escape from this material existence, please, please, please regulate your senses. Right now, control these five senses through the mind, through the intelligence. That's how. So very beautifully, Krishna has explained that. Let's go to the next words, the last words of chapter 3, Karma Yoga. So with this, we are actually going to complete chapter 3 today, Karma Yoga. 
we have discussed amazing concepts here so many beautiful things that krishna has revealed so let's go and chant the last words of chapter 3 and i want achyutan ji to unmute yourself and let's chant this together so let me display the screen and yes so verse number 43 so please repeat that achyutan ji you are ready Okay, looks like there is some issue. Let me un unmute you. Yes. Yes. Achyutan, you can speak something. Let me see if you are okay. Unable to listen to him. Maybe there is some issue. So I want uh, Dave. Dave, you can unmute yourself and let's uh, chant this once again. All right. Yes, sir. Evam buddhe param budva. Evam buddhe param budva. Samstabhyatma namatmana. Samstabhyatma namatmana. Jahi shatrum mahabaho. Jahi shatrum mahabaho. Kavarupa durasadam. Once again, evam buddhe param budva. Evam buddhe param budva. Samstabhyatma namatmana. Samstabhyatma namatmana. Jahi shatrum mahabaho. Jahi shatrum mahabaho. Kamarupam durasadam. Kamarupam durasadam. Wonderful. So please uh, repeat the translation. You can read it by yourself. Yes. Thus, knowing oneself to be transcendental to the material senses, mind, and intelligence, one should control the lower self by the higher self, and thus, by a spiritual strength, conquer this insatiable enemy known as love. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So. again a very interesting uh, way of understanding how we need to control all the lower existence that we have the sensual existence the mental existence the intellectual existence all these needs a higher existence that is spiritual existence which controls all these lower existence so krishna is explaining that here in this particular verse and we should understand like in the 40th word 41st word krishna has mentioned that how this was a very powerful enemy and it destroys gnana and vijnana and here it is said kama roopa durasadam so what is this lust in the pure consciousness in the spiritual world the soul exhibits pure love now this love which is pure and positive in nature when it's perverted the exact opposite is lust the opposite of love is lust so what happens here when you don't understand 
this concept of how lust is originated, then we may think, oh, what's happening with us? But now you should know that how powerful this lust is. You should know very clearly that this lust is as powerful as love because it is completely opposite. It is a perverted reflection of love. It is as powerful as love, but it is in a different direction. So that's why it's very difficult to overcome this lust on our own. We are committing sinful activities because of this lust. So, if you can surrender to Krishna, Krishna is powerful than any sin. Krishna is powerful than lust. And he can actually help us overcome this lust and develop that love for him. So, that's why it is said here, symbol of lust is, you know, you have seen this uh, heart. Many people have this heart and then there is an arrow piercing the heart. Many, especially very recently, last week we had Valentine's Day and you keep seeing only the hearts. But many people don't understand that the heart is very soon going to be pierced by an arrow. It's called Pushpabana. This arrow is called the Pushpabana. Lust is the Pushpabana. It is very flowery. You know, this arrow of lust is very soft initially. You know, it comes and hits you in a very nice way, in a very soft way. But the moment you engage with this arrow of lust, this pushpabana, it pierces your heart. And that's what happens in this material world. Initially, when you come in contact, a boy and a girl, they come in contact, there is this pushpabana that is released, the arrow of the cupid. And it's very soft initially. But what happens later on? moment you get married, then there is all the problem. It starts piercing. Love at first sight and divorce at first fight. That's what happens, right? So, this Pushpamana is extremely powerful. It's very soft. But later on, it becomes very hard. So, Kulashekar Alwar. Kulashekar Alwar is a very great exalted devotee from South India. He has written many amazing poetries and verses in glorification of the Lord. So he is actually warning the lust. He is saying, Kama, you don't enter my heart. Be careful. Never, never, never enter my heart. You were already burnt by Lord Shiva's third eye. Kama was burnt by Lord Shiva's third eye. But now, if you dare to enter my heart, you were defeated by Hara, but in my heart there is Hari. And Hari is very, very powerful. If you come into my heart, he is going to destroy you. So, he is warning, Kulishekar Alwar is warning Kama, don't enter my heart. You see the confidence? See the confidence of Kulishekar Alwar? He is so confident that yes, the Lord resides in my heart. Are we confident like that? We also need to be very confident. Yes, Lord resides in my heart and no matter what, I am still going to fight. The Lord will protect me from this lust. Okay? So that's how uh, it's very natural for us to actually degrade to the lower consciousness because the senses are very naturally attracted towards the sense objects. But whereas it's difficult to get attracted to the super soul, the Paramatma within heart. Why it is so difficult is because our prolonged conditioning with this material world is what keeps us away from, uh, from Paramatma and understanding of the Paramatma. We don't have Jnana, we don't have Vijnana. 
So we need to cultivate jnana. We need to apply that jnana and then develop that love for Krishna within our heart. It takes time. It's not an easy process. But it is a very fruitful thing. If you can begin now, better late than never. Some of you must be thinking, oh Prabhuji, what? I'm already 50 plus. Can I still practice spirituality? Yes, very much. You can. At this moment, start your spiritual life and still perfect your life. Such a wonderful thing. Right? So, let's not be saddened by the fact that, oh, it's too late for me to start spiritual life. It really doesn't matter. You can start it now and still get the ultimate perfection because the process given in Kali Yuga is very simple. You just need to utter the names and chant the holy names of the Lord. That's how simple it is. You don't have to even go to the temples. You just have to chant, take the holy names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. By doing, you will be able to get that natural attraction toward Krishna. You will be spontaneously attracted towards Krishna, to the Supreme Lord, to the Padmatma within your heart. It takes time, but it is for sure you will develop love for it. So, we need to build our uh, intellectual muscles and that's what we're doing week after week we're meeting here online and discussing Bhagavad Gita so what's happening here is we are strengthening our intelligence just like you have you go to the gym and develop your muscular strength you develop uh, you know some good muscles by going to the gym so when you come here it's an intellectual gymnasium you attend these sessions on the Bhagavad Gita what's happening is every time you read Bhagavad Gita you are developing your intellectual muscles which gives you strength to control the mind, which in turn controls the senses. You see, so wonderful it is. So gradually, you need to stretch yourself. You need to stretch yourself now. You cannot be complacent. Just like if you want to build your muscles, if you already have the capacity to lift 5 kgs, you need to stretch to 7 kgs, then 8 kgs, then 10 kgs. That's when, only when you stretch yourself and lift heavy loads, you will be able to lift and develop your muscles. Similarly, you need to attend these sessions regularly and read Bhagavad Gita regularly. Why? If you are reading it for one hour, make it two hours. If you are attending these sessions once in a week, just 90 minutes, but then you can stretch yourself the rest of the week by reading Bhagavad Gita and develop your intellectual muscles. Right? So this is an amazing thing that we are all supposed to do. So this is what we are doing week after week and let's not forget that this is an amazing opportunity that Lord out of His causeless mercy has given this opportunity for all of us to understand Bhagavad Gita. So with this we complete the third chapter, the 43 verses. This is one of the biggest chapters uh, in Bhagavad Gita, 43 verses. It's quite a uh, uh, big one and we have amazingly covered very beautiful concepts. So. We have understood about why we need to perform yajna, the process of yajna, the cycle of yajna and uh, how lust and greed and anger are the greatest enemies which stop us from spiritual life. So many beautiful concepts, right? So if you have not heard, some of you who have missed the previous sessions, you can go back and listen to the previous sessions on YouTube and some of them are not uploaded still so you can also listen to them on the podcast which is there. Uh, the description I have given the links so you can listen to all the sessions and have a feel of what is Karma Yoga so 
Now I open up this whole thing for Q&A if you have any questions, if you want to discuss anything about Karma Yoga or any other things that you want to ask, let's have a discussion and let's have a Q&A. I open this session for Q&A now. We had a wonderful discussion and my dear devotees and audience on YouTube, if you also are listening to this and have some questions, you can feel free to ask questions. And by the way, make your presence felt by saying Hare Krishna so that I know who has come and joined. So dear devotees on YouTube, if you are listening to this, just say Hare Krishna and make your presence felt. So I open up this session now for Q&A. If you have any Q questions, please feel free to ask. If you don't have questions, then I have a lot of questions to ask. Alright. What? Can anyone explain to me what is the cycle of Yajna? Anyone remembers the cycle of Yajna that Krishna had explained previously in the third chapter? You can just unmute yourself. Okay, I have added Achyutanji also now and also Uma Kumar again. Alright. So if you have any questions. So what is the cycle of Yajna by the way? Does anyone remember? It's a very nice sloka that Krishna had explained. So this is what happens, you know, it gets evaporated. Kaliyuga memory is like that. It is possible that there also be, you know, some delay between both of us. Yes, anyone remembers the cycle of Yajna? Which verse is that? So in verse number 13, Krishna has very beautifully explained Yajna Sishta Sanasinto Muchyante Sarvakilvishaha Bhunjante Te Rugampapa Yepachanti Atma Karanath And in the 14th verse, he explained the cycle Annad Bhavanti Bhutani Parjanyadanna Sambhavaha Yajnad Bhavanti Parjanyo Yajna Karmasa Mudbhavaha He explained that how we all living entities, we subsist on food grains and then the food grains are produced from rains and rains are produced from the performance of yajna and yajna are actually coming from the prescribed duties and prescribed duties are in turn coming from the Vedas so this is the cycle of yajna that we had understood so that was very beautifully explained by Krishna yes, I open this Again, for question answers, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Let me see if there is anything in the comment section. Okay. So, Vinodji is here on YouTube now. I am waiting for questions. Uh, by the way, Vinodji, you had asked one question earlier related to Varna Sankara. That was, uh, I think, about 2-3 sessions before. So, you had asked a specific question on Varna Sankara that how a certain category of a person uh, they belong to, what do they do, what is their uh, uh, occupation and that occupation, I forgot uh, the specific Varnasankara category that you had asked mm, they actually uh, are into services, giving services to, services to women you know there is Again, I have to recall this. It was a very nice one. It was a very nice question that you had asked. I'll get back to you on this. Yes. 
Yes. Any any more questions? Okay. I think there is a question here. Dev is asking Prabhuji, how must we learn the Bhagavad Gita in the sense that we tend to forget what we read? So, is there any method to go about learn the Bhagavad Gita? Okay. This is a very practical thing, and it's nice that we uh, have to understand. See, one way to understand Bhagavad Gita or understand Bhagavad Gita is you read the sloka and then you start reading the translation. So what happens is just sloka and the translation will give you a very nice overview of Bhagavad Gita. That way you can complete the 18 chapters very quickly. In just a matter of couple of days you can actually finish all the 18 chapters just by reading the translation. So you get the overall picture of what's happening in the Bhagavad Gita. But along with that it's important that you simultaneously read the verses, the word to word meaning, the translation and then read the purports and you don't have to hurry here. You can read words after words, words after words, the purports very nicely. And then there are these sessions which are happening online. This also will help you to clarify your doubts. See what happens is when we read, there are a lot of doubts that pop up in our mind. So you can make a note of those questions and in these sessions you can actually ask. So the best thing is you can have some dedicated time for reading Bhagavad Gita. Early morning is best. So what happens is the moment you uh, woke, wake up and then you refresh yourself, you have a dedicated time for reading Bhagavad Gita. So you get into the practice of reading Bhagavad Gita. It may be just 15 minutes every day, but then you are giving that dedicated time for yourself for understanding Bhagavad Gita. So that's a very good practice and habit that you can cultivate. So uh, moment after you take bath, before you do your regular activities, maybe before you take your breakfast, you can actually read Bhagavad Gita for 15 minutes. So that becomes a habit and you cultivate that habit. That's amazing. So the morning regular, uh, your reading of uh, quick reading can happen in that 15 minutes. But the systematic study can happen later in the day and you can listen to the lectures that are already done. Right? So that's very nice. I hope that clarifies. Okay, good. So we have... Yes, Uma Kumar. Guruji, my sitting in the meditation and the chanting Hare Krishna, after some time my mind is wandering, my mind is going off somewhere and yes. I am bringing back. After 5 or 10 minutes, again my mind is going away. How can I concentrate the Yes, that's a common problem that we all face, especially while chanting. You know, our mind, it keeps wandering, just like a child, you know, when the child is very small, the baby, it keeps wandering here and there. And the mother has to go back and, you know, bring back the child to the place where she's sitting. So similarly, we need to bring back this childish mind, which is wandering constantly. How do we bring it back while chanting? So. Practical thing is now, see, I'm chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare So, this is the pace I'm chanting. And now, my mind will start wondering, it is thinking about, okay, what's the lunch that I'm going to have? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. And my mind is thinking about the lunch. The moment you realize that, yes, my mind is wondering, what you can do to bring back the mind is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So what I do is, I increase the volume of my chanting. I increase the pitch 
So what happens is the moment you chant loudly, immediately the mind is shaken and again it comes back. You become attentive. So don't be very monotonous while chanting, especially when your mind wanders. Don't be monotonous. You can actually increase the pitch of your chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Chant like this few times. Then what happens is, when your mind comes back again, you can again chant in a nice soft way. Right? So this is one technique that I use while chanting. Moment the mind wanders, chant loudly and bring back the mind in control. So this is very very practical. Chant loudly is very important. The moment you chant loudly, mind gets control. It needs attention. Right? And by practicing like this regularly, over a period of time, you will get a very amazing feeling while chanting. It's so wonderful. When you are so focused and you're chanting this mantra nicely, you feel so amazing. You will see that connect with Krishna. So this chanting loudly gives you amazing realizations and feelings. So attentive chanting. That's why chant and hear. Chant and hear. Every word that comes out of your mouth should actually enter your ear. And through your ear, it reaches your heart. It reaches your heart. That's how we need to practice this. It's a very amazing experience. Try this early in the morning, chanting loudly and completely, attentively listen to this holy name. Your own sound, your own voice, you listen to it. And you see the feeling that you get. It's amazing. And you hanker for it more and more. You want more and more. Once you get a taste for chanting, you just don't want to stop. You want more and more. It will increase your taste. Okay, so try this chanting loudly and I have some more questions here and uh, is it okay to read the Bhagavad Gita without having a bath? Uh, yes, you can. There is no hard and fast rule but still what happens is when you take bath, you come to Sattva Guna. You automatically increase the Sattva Guna in yourself. That's why we take bath. See what happens is you have slept for about 6-7 hours. So sleeping means it's a mode of ignorance. It's tamoguna. You have gone when you sleeping means tamoguna because without tamoguna you cannot sleep. In rajoguna and sattvoguna you cannot sleep. So it's when you sleep you have gone into tamoguna. So just when you come out of tamoguna, the morning atmosphere is very good. It's already in sattvoguna, and on top of that, when you actually take bath, your consciousness will attract a lot of sattvoguna. And in reading Bhagavad Gita in sattvoguna will give you, uh, it remains, it retains, you can retain everything that you have read and heard. So that's why it's important to take bath and read. Because taking bath brings you into Sattva Guna, it's important. And any spiritual activity that you do, it's important that you be in Sattva Guna as much as possible. Although chanting and reading Bhagavad Gita, there is no hard and fast rule, but still, if you can take bath and then chant and read, that's amazing, nothing like that. Good. So, Devi is saying thank you Prabhuji. Yes. Any more questions? If there are any more questions, you can drop them in YouTube as well. And here now we have completed and we have discussed so many things in Chapter 3 about Karma Yoga. So, Yoga means to connect, to link with the Lord. So, Karma Yoga means actually having, doing our activities in such a way that it becomes Yoga. Now, how does that happen? We have understood that how by offering the result to Krishna, our activities will become Karma Yoga. 
we start getting connected. Offering the result is very important. But we are attached to the result. Right? And especially we are attached to the good result. You know, when people are flourishing nicely, when they are successful in their endeavors, in business or in their work, in profession, they say, oh, it's all because of me. It's me. Oh, I worked so hard. I burned the midnight oil and I did so many things. They take the credit for themselves. But when something goes wrong and not working as per what they wanted, oh, this is Then they don't take responsibility. Success it's all because of me. Failure then it's all because of Bhagwan. So that's the natural tendency people have. That's wrong. So yes, any more questions? Hina Mataji, Achutanji, Vinodji, Uma, any more questions? We have some more time and let's take some more questions if you have any. So this is how. And uh, anybody on YouTube also can leave your comments there on YouTube. So Prabhupada has uh, very nicely concluded this chapter 3 and uh, he says that how by using our higher intelligence we need to control all the lower existence of our mind and senses and intelligence. So in the neophyte stage, neophyte means when we in this initial stage of uh, as sadhakas uh, we are supposed to keep ourselves away from the sense objects as much as possible. A brahmachari cannot say that I will go to the women's hostel and then I will preach Bhagavad Gita there. It's very dangerous. Although you have good intentions, but if you start preaching to women, then it's difficult. Gradually, the material intelligence will take over because it's influenced by lust and it can put your spiritual life into danger. So please don't do that. So we need to be very careful. That's why we as sadhakas, as much as possible, have developed that reflex actions, developed reflex actions towards the sense objects. Moment you see something which is wrong, just keep it aside. Yes. Yes, so Vinodji had this very interesting question earlier and he had asked this question that how when a Brahmana woman gets married to a Vaishya man, so then it causes the Varna Sankara. So this Varna Sankara of a Brahmana woman and a Vaishya man getting married, what happens is the in the Vedic times, this uh, offspring was given a specific role in the society and the duty of this role of this particular offspring was to take care of the services towards women you know like women have this beauty parlors and uh, anything related to women such activities such things such businesses were taken care by this particular offspring so this was a very little information that i could find so this is how this is what i could find that this offspring of a brahmana woman and a vaishya man getting married coming together their children were given services related to uh, or business related to uh, do something to do with women. So that was their profession, that was their business that they got into. So this information I, yes, I wanted to give you since long time. 
Yes, Vinodja, and I hope you get a little idea about what happens when there is Varna Sankara like this. Of course, now in the Kali Yuga, it's all uh, jumbled up. So much of Varna Sankara has happened, we really don't know what degree of Varna Sankara we are into. But no matter what Varna Sankara, what kind of uh, parents that we have, what type of offspring we are, Krishna consciousness is so wonderful and so powerful that it can raise the lowest of humankind to the topmost elevated position of Prema Bhakti. You can become an Uttama Adhikari by practicing the principles of Krishna consciousness and by practicing the principles given in the Bhagavad Gita. So powerful it is, so powerful. So that's why there is a lot of hope, especially in Kali Yuga, uh, we have a lot of hope. So be confident, be very powerful, uh, do not uh, underestimate the power of Krishna consciousness, the power of chanting holy name and the knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita. This will definitely protect all of us. So next week, next session, we are going to start chapter 4 and chapter 4 is called Transcendental Knowledge. It's an amazing chapter. Prabhupada titles it as Transcendental Knowledge. We will understand chapter 4, what Krishna is going to further explain to Arjuna. And Arjuna also had a lot of questions previously. So there are so many things that Krishna is going to explain. And uh, what a surprise today. We also have uh, Deepal Hinge Mataji joining us today. Thank you so much Mataji for joining today. So it's uh, a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, thank you so much for joining. So, there are so many beautiful things that we are going to cover in chapter 4. So many nice concepts and principles that we are going to cover. So, all that and more in the next session. So, let's have uh, amazing discussion in Bhagavad Gita. I am really glad that all of you could join today and you are regularly understanding this Bhagavad Gita. This will help each one of us, you as listener and me as a speaker, both purify our heart and then get attached to Krishna and then go back to home, back to Godhead. And by the way, some of you who didn't think of your uh, constitutional position, like they was still confused, oh, he was not aware or he was not thinking, he had not thought about what he wants to become in the spiritual world. Next session, I want to understand from all of you that what would you like to be? What would you like to be in the spiritual world? So, Achyutanji said he want to, wants to become a tree there. He wants to become a Kalpavriksha and I, Aradhana, we both want to be Gopas. We want to be the friend of Krishna and play with Krishna, go to the forest, uh, herding the cows and, you know, play with Krishna there, you know, and break the pots of the gopis and eat the butter and do all those uh, pranks with Krishna. That's what we are desiring for. We don't know if that's what Krishna wants. So, what, what is that you want to become? So think about it. What is that uh, you want to be in the spiritual world? Let's understand that in the next session. Meanwhile, you have seven more days to think about it. So if there are any questions or anything that you want to ask, please feel free to ask me in the WhatsApp group that we have. You can personally ask me there. And uh, this week, I'll also share the PDF forms of all the prayers and the audio forms of all the prayers of great devotees in the group so that you can listen and you can practice uh, all that at home. So, with this, uh, I would like to end the session and we will see you very soon again next Sunday at the same time and same me. Please take care all of you. Hare Krishna.